Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, hey, hey. I hope you're doing well uh, on this Sunday morning. We're still a little bit in mourning over uh, what happened last Sunday afternoon. And uh, still can't believe quite what happened. But uh, we will bounce back. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We will bounce back. We were so, so very, very close. And uh, we'll just move forward, okay? Let's go, Buffalo. We're loving our city. I hope you are. Buffalo needs a lot of love right now. So send love to Buffalo. Pray for uh, my homeland. Well, you know. Uh, a couple things going on I want to let you know about. We are... Uh, next Sunday, we're going to tear up the title, or the mortgage, I should say. Uh, we paid off our building, and we're excited about that and ready to, to move forward and take on a whole new vision, a whole new mission for God. I hope uh, if you're around, come and celebrate with us. We'd love to have you. We're going to the Super Bowl. Scarlet Hope is Rochelle's ministry, and we're going to go uh, <clears throat> be, um, her and her team are going to be ministering to uh, women and reaching out to women in the vicinity that needs some help or rescue that are looking for that. And um, so I'll be going uh, also. So pray for this effort. Pray for this ministry at the Super Bowl uh, doing a great thing. And we are reaching for more in 2024. I hope that you are. I hope that, that uh, you are thinking about ways that God can use you for his glory and for his kingdom. Right? It's not about us. It is all about Jesus. So <clears throat> your faith, your faith has saved you. That's the, the title of our series right now. Uh, we're marching through the Gospels, looking at different events uh, where people encounter Jesus in a powerful way miracles happened and it was because they came to Jesus it was because they they placed their faith and their trust and they were desperate for Jesus and that's what connected them to a spiritual supernatural powerful glorious healing in their life but without them coming to Jesus and their desperate need for him and demonstrating that and showing him that and telling him that these people would not be healed it's only because of their faith in jesus and his power for them that anything happened and we looked at a number of people in the bible that had some really big need big needs the, the blind beggar uh, a sinful woman who comes and anoints his feet uh, the ten leopards and one came back to give god thanks and praise uh, last uh, Wednesday night, uh, we were right here in this room with our teenagers uh, studying through the book of Mark. And we were looking at the passage where uh, these guys, these, these friends, lowered their paralytic friend through the roof. They dug the roof apart, lowered him down right in front of Jesus. And uh, Jesus said to the man, <clears throat> your sins are forgiven. Now the man's a paralytic. He can't walk. He can't move. He can't do anything. And there's so the whole town is there at the door and crowded into this house. 
And there before him is a paralytic who needs to walk. He, he can't do anything. And Jesus, the first thing Jesus says to him is not be healed. But the first thing Jesus says to him is your sins are forgiven. Well, that caused all kinds of commotion. But do you know why your sins are forgiven first? It's because we all come with needs. We all have needs. We live in a broken world. We live on a broken planet, a sinful, hijacked planet. Some physical. But the greatest needs that you and I have are spiritual. They're our spiritual need for for oneness with God, for coming back into a relationship with God. Our sins, our, our sins have got to be dealt with. And only Jesus can deal with sin. No one else can. There is no other way to get them clean, cleansed except through Jesus. And the giving of our life, the meeting Jesus with our faith and in desperation saying, Jesus, I need you. When you do that, when you come to him and you obey him, he cleanses you. He washes you new. And so if we're smart, if we are smart people, as smart as we think we are, we will find ourselves crying out to Jesus. We will bring our sinful and broken self to the feet of Jesus and we will cry out to Jesus for mercy. If we're smart, if we're full of pride and ego, we won't do that because our ego won't let us. But if we'll let it all go and realize that there's a God who created everything and I am separated from him because of my sin. And the only way to come back to him is for him to forgive me of my sin. And he sent his son Jesus to take care of that. And all that I can do is come to his feet and cry out to him for mercy. It's the best place that you can be. If you have never been in a spiritual sense and even in a literal sense, like just on your face, on your knees, crying out to Jesus, I would encourage you to get there. You, you should go there, not in front of other people, but in your own room, at your own time, you, you, you go as low as you can go and just cry out to Jesus for mercy and healing and forgiveness. And he will. He will do that in your life. We are in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Jesus again is among the people doing incredible things, mm. glorious things, great things, miraculous things, supernatural things. He is just demonstrating to the world who he is very clearly and precisely. There's no doubt in the people's mind who lived back then the power of Jesus and the authority of Jesus that he had power to do everything whether it was the elements and the wind and the rain and the storm, or it was uh, multiplying food, or it was healing sick people or diseased people or blind people or lame people or dead people, Jesus or demon-possessed people, Jesus demonstrated it all. 
that he has power and authority over it all. And so this time, on this day, he's going to do a double time. He's going to do a little double time. It's a miracle, kind of inside of a miracle. It's like a double stuffed day for Jesus. Now, I say that kind of in tongue-in-cheek, but because this story has kind of two events in it, but we know throughout the day Jesus was doing all kinds of things. In fact, John said at the end of his gospel that if everything Jesus did and said were written down, there wouldn't be enough books in, in the world to contain all that he did. And so Jesus did way more than we have written. And so these things were written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But by no means do we have everything that Jesus did. It's why Mark and John and Luke and um, uh, Matthew, they, they wrote about different things because there were so many things. A lot of them they, they wrote about were similar things that happened when they were all together. Other things they wrote about that the others did not. And so it's going to be a double stuffed day for Jesus. So here's how it begins. Luke chapter 8, verse 40. If you got your Bibles, you're going to want to go there, underline some stuff, circle some things, write in the margins, highlight, whatever. Mark up that Bible. Mark it up. Like, mark it up so that you can come back and remember some things that were said or some things that God impressed on your heart as we go through this. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. That's cool. For they were all expecting him. Now, there's some key words, right? Jesus returns, crowd welcomes him. They're all expecting him. There's a lot of fun going on here. Then a man uh, by the name of Jairus, he was a synagogue leader, came and he fell at Jesus' feet, right where you should be, right where I should be, pleading with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl about 12, was dying. So, think about that. Jesus was just up in the countryside. Oh, let me throw the map back up there. He was just up in the countryside, okay? He was over here. This is the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Dead Sea in Jerusalem, all down south. Here's Capernaum. So this is where Jesus spends a lot of his time in ministry, up at the top of the Sea of Galilee, ministering in this area. There's Cana way over there. He turned water into wine, the first miracle. But on this time, they, Jesus, a lot of times he will go over to this side of the, the sea because it was uh, wilderness and it was kind of deserted and it was quiet. And uh, up here is this desert of uh, Gadara. And Jesus, is go, he just came back from here, back to Capernaum. And this is where, this is where on the edge of this area is where he uh, cast a demon uh, that was called Legion into the herd of pigs. And they all rushed down into the sea and drowned in the Sea of Galilee. And so now he returns back to Capernaum. And the crowd welcomed him. It says they were all waiting for him. They were expecting him. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little like, definitely not like, completely. But maybe a little like when, when we go to worship. Like when we come to worship on a Sunday morning or we, we, we put the, uh, the video on or we, we're, we're going to watch a sermon online from our church or from... From, from wherever, and, and we, we're going to kind of like come with expectation, I hope. 
especially this especially is true when you when you go to worship with with the church family and you're there together with them and you're singing in the fellowship and all that goes on and they're not just the sermon not just the singing but the interaction that goes on and, and you come with some kind of expectation of, of what God is going to do or what you hope that God will do something something big today that he's going to do something great that God is going to move and he's going to touch some lives today. And so we come with, with an eagerness to hear from, from heaven, right? We come with this eagerness. And so the people, the people have seen Jesus do a lot of things. They, a lot of them just saw him, you know, they were probably over there when he goes, that herd of pig went rushing into the sea. And now they're expecting, he's back and they're expecting Jesus to do something amazing again. And just then, the synagogue leader by the name of Jairus comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. Now, this is a, a synagogue leader. He, he's like a leader among the Jews. He's not a rabbi. He's not the priest. He's more like an elder or a lay person with a leadership responsibility and role. His official title is Rosh Hakaneset. Rosh Hakaneset. That's who he is. He's this synagogue a ruler, a leader, right? That's what he is. And uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like being the president of a club. Okay, he's he's like the president. His job primarily is to uh, take care of the physical arrangements of the synagogue, make sure things are where they ought to be, so that when the rabbi comes, everything's ready to roll. You know, we're good to go. It seemed, it seemed that everything. However, for Jairus, the synagogue leader, everything synagogue and everything Pharisee and everything rabbi and teacher and everything Jewish has gone out the window. He is now sitting at the feet of Jesus, the one that so many of these religious leaders are against and don't like. All religious etiquette is gone. None of that matters to this man Jairus anymore. His pride is gone. His ego is gone. He doesn't care who's watching anymore. He doesn't care what the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the teachers of the law think anymore. He doesn't care how it looks. He is desperate. And he comes and he falls at, his, at Jesus' feet, not for himself, but for his daughter who is dying. She's about 12 years old and she is literally dead. She is like on the verge of death because not long from now, at the end of the story, you're going to see it actually happened. In the worst and best way, he is in the most perfect position at the feet of Jesus. Now, how he got there and why he got there and why he's there is a sad, sad, sad moment. And a sad thing for his daughter. But this is where he is at this moment. And for the first time ever, for the first time ever, God is his undivided. God has his undivided and complete attention. Why is it that so many, many times, like in the world and in our lives and people around us, it takes a crisis? 
for us to truly come to Jesus and to let go and to let God have his way? Why does it take a crisis in our life? Are we that slow to learn, that hard-headed? And so he comes and he begs, and so they now are are headed to Jairus' house, okay? That's the scene. Jesus comes back from the pig incident. He returns to Capernaum, and as he's getting off the boat, here comes Jairus. And now they're going to go, and uh, they're going to be on their way to Jairus' house. Here's what it says in uh, chapter 8, verse 42. And Jesus was on his way, and the crowds almost crushed him. So there is a lot of commotion going on wherever they are, maybe freshly off the boat, maybe they got off the boat and they're walking into Capernaum and now here comes this guy. Uh, some translations say that the crowd thronged him. They thronged him. That's weird, right? That's kind of a weird word. We don't say that word. They thronged him. It means they pressed up against him. It means to tighten up against them. The Greek word actually refers to like a weed choking out the plant, like this word, uh, this word thronged. It means like these weeds are choking out the plant. You've seen that done. It's a busy street. It's a busy scene, mostly around Jesus because they all want to see him do more. And they're pushing up against each other. It's a mosh pit. It's crazy. People are talking and screaming and yelling, Jesus, and, and every all this commotion is going on. And let's not overlook this simple thing. Jesus was on his way. Jesus was on his way. Don't overlook this. Jesus is on his way. How awesome is that? Like, never forget this. No matter what your circumstance, no matter what your situation in life, no matter how good things are, or how low things get, just always remember Jesus is on his way. He is on his way. And here he is on his way to Jairus' house. And in an incredible fashion, he's going to heal Jairus' daughter. He's going to raise her from the dead, verses 49 to 56, at the end of this section, you'll have to read that miracle on your own and check that out, the rest of the story. Because I want to focus on what happens next with this person who comes to Jesus. And so here it is. They're on their way to Jairus' house, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. And so as Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house, after Jairus falls at Jesus' feet, they're now on their way, and there's this woman who kind of comes out of nowhere. Her condition is desperate, like, like Jairus's. Uh, she's been bleeding herself. This is her own personal issue. Uh, she's been bleeding for 12 years, hemorrhaging for 12 years. No one could make her well. She's been to doctors and nobody could fix her problem. It's a sad situation. It's got to be uncomfortable. It's got to be physically dis uh, discomfort. It's got to be a lot of that going on. And, and, and the blood issue is that she's now unclean. She, she, she's not supposed to be in public. And she's definitely not supposed to be touching people, pressing up against people. And she's for sure not supposed to purposely reach out and touch anyone. She is wandering far, far from her traditions. 
everything in the Jewish tradition said, you better be home by yourself doing nothing. And this lady is doing everything but that. And I love that. She has wandered from her traditions and she has come to Jesus. And I love that. Because there's far too many people in the world holding to their traditions and their traditions are keeping them from Jesus. I love it. COVID has nothing on this woman's issue, okay? Nothing. Like, you can hear people in the crowd, lady, where's your mask, right? Are you vaxxed? Did you have your boosters? Right? You could just hear some of the crowd probably uh, saying some smirky things to her. Verse 44, she came up behind Jesus and she touched the edge of his cloak and immediately her bleeding stopped. <laughs> her bleeding stopped. It just shut off. Stop. Jesus hasn't said or done a thing and her bleeding stopped. Just a surge of power went out from Jesus to her. No doubt she felt it and no doubt he felt it. And in the end, that is all that really matters, isn't it? Jesus and this woman, this desperate woman who came crying to Jesus, reaches out, touches the edge of his garment, and this power surge heals her. This detail is huge. And it's here for a reason, because it's just her and Jesus in the midst of all these people thronging up against Jesus. It's really just her and Jesus. Others were touching Jesus. Others were pressing up against Jesus, but nothing happened for them. Only when intention and purpose and choice touch Jesus do miraculous things happen. So you can hang around the church all you want. You can hang around Jesus and his people for, from now until he comes again. But until you reach out and touch him with purpose, it means very little. It means nothing. And Jesus says... Who touched me? Who touched me? <laughs> Who touched me? When they all denied it, like, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Peter then pipes up and he says, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, no. Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Yes. You know, God is unlimited power. And when we tap into him, when we touch Jesus, when we cry out to him, when we come to him and call on him, his power, his spirit goes to work in our lives. The son of God knows when a person touches the edge of his cloak. In this case, it's a matter of making now eye contact with whoever that was, with her. She is going to have to step up and own it. Jesus is, in a sense, calling her out. She got the healing, 
but it's got to almost feel like she stole it. She had no idea what to expect, right? She had no idea when, when she got to where she got, if she even got to where she could wanted to get. And, and she reaches out and she touched Jesus. If I just touch him, I'll be healed. She never thought maybe that she would actually be able to get there. And so when it happened, she probably had no earthly idea what was going to happen next. Like what would happen next? But it happened. It happened. Again, it happened for another person. And this is totally awesome that it happened. She can tell she's healed. But she can also see Jesus looking around because he knows somebody touched him with some intention and purpose. And oh man, she almost got away with it. Peter almost got her off the hook when he said, Lord, there's a lot of people pushing up against you. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. No, no, I'm not talking about that touch. And he's looking around, he's looking around, and it's a who did it moment, who did it moment, right? You, you've been there, I've been there, walk into the youth group and there's broken stuff, and you're like, who broke this paddle? And everybody's looking around, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, we didn't do it, right? But he's denying it, or, or you come into the living room, right? Or you come into the kitchen and it's like, who ate all the Captain Crunch, right? right? Who ate all the Captain Crunch? And you're looking around at faces, right? You're looking for the guilty party. You're trying to look at the faces of the youth group or the faces of your kids, and you're trying to find the, the guilty one, and, and they're all pointing at the littlest one, right? Enzo did it. No, uh, Louie did it. Uh, uh, Mia did it. Remy did it. All right, they're going to blame the littlest one. Then this woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, Check that out. She couldn't go unnoticed. She knew it. Jesus is looking around. She knows she's, she's, it's just a matter of moments and she's going to be busted. So she, she knows this and, and, and she knows she can't hide from Jesus. She can't hide from God, right? That's, that's a truth. We cannot hide from him. And she thought maybe, uh, maybe she'd pull it off without anybody noticing this, but, but, but God knows everything. And so she comes and trembling, she comes trembling, and she fell at Jesus' feet, another person at the feet of Jesus, which is where you should be, it's where I should be, and in the presence of all the people, there she is, at the feet of Jesus. And we see the confession of a woman. We see the desperation of her heart, we see the need for her, and she cries out to him. We see all that she is up against to get to this moment at this place in the road, right there next to Jesus, now at his feet, caught and busted, but healed. And it all comes flooding out, and she told Jesus why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And so mixed, there's these mixed emotions, right? She's mixed with some guilt, because she's politically incorrect for her behavior. And, and, and that feeling that you just got caught doing something that was good, but you're busted. It's a moment of great satisfaction. It's a moment of great relief. And her body is healed. 12 years of suffering are gone. And whatever, or whatever wrong that she might have uh, be guilty of has been now swallowed up in joy and healing and wholeness. And I would imagine a great hush comes across the whole crowd. And Peter and the disciples, again, are speechless. And right there, 
along that busy street in the midst of this massive crowd, it is just Jesus and this woman. It is just the two of them. His power has been unleashed on her. Only Jesus and the woman are fully aware of that. Nothing else matters to them. No one else could possibly understand. And Jesus looks at her with these great eyes of love and this great heart of compassion. You know that he hurts with her, that it even had to come to this moment in her life. And Jesus says to her in verse 48, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. <laughs> what a beautiful response. Your, your faith, your connection to God, your willingness to humble yourself and cry out to Jesus in desperation because we're all so very desperate. But to acknowledge it and do it is a different thing than just know it. You got to do it. We have to do it. What great relief for her. The silence is broken by compassion and healing. Any worry for her wrongdoings disappears in grace and love. Jesus doesn't say like we would say, you should have not come here and, and, and messed with the crowd. Uh, you should, he didn't scold her for, for like exposing everyone with her, her uncleanness. His power and his glory just destroy all alarm and potential danger. Worry and guilt and shame and the crowd and the uncleanliness are simply swallowed up in Jesus. You know, in the, clay, in the case of the blind beggar last week, everyone could see his healing. Right? They could see the excitement of the man as he as he's jumping around praising God, and they all joined him in praising the Lord. But this time, even though the crowd is many and pushing up against Jesus, it's just her and him. It's just Jesus and this woman in the crowd of so many. And they are the only ones that truly understand what has just happened in her. And I've got to say, right now, it's just you and Jesus. It's just you and Jesus. Whether you're in a room with other people doesn't matter at this moment. It is just you and Jesus in the midst of wherever you are or whoever's around. It's just him and you right now. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever, whatever it is that is messed up or wrong, Jesus is the only one who can fix it. He's the only one. And when we humble ourselves, we see this time and time again, when we just humble ourselves, let pride go, let ego go, let it all go, and just bow at the feet of Jesus and just cry out to him for mercy, God will go to work in your life like never before. Only Jesus can fix you. And so what I'd like us to do is pray. Just take a few minutes.
as we wrap this up and I've got some 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 truth to pray on on the screen and just just think about these things and just pray about these things in your life and know that it, it's just you and Jesus right now in the quietness of this moment right what's what's he saying to you what is he saying to you last week he said he said to the blind beggar what do you want me to do for you i think i think jesus is is saying to each and every one of us what what do you want me to do for you and and we better think very carefully of the answer that we give him because it needs to be unselfish it needs to be about him it needs to be eternally important don't make it shallow Maybe, maybe there's something in your life that you need Jesus to swallow up in his grace and his mercy. Whatever decision you need to make today that will move you closer to Jesus, I pray that you will make that. I'm going to see you next week, but I'm going to leave this here. And you guys, just take a few minutes and pray and seek the Lord. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week.